0: Welcome to Awaken Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. First John chapter two. Uh, We're in about week six or seven or so. So just by way of review, just a couple of things that we've covered so far. We've talked about uh, John starts out and he he talks about the eternal nature of Jesus, the divine nature of Jesus. This is really important for John because. There are some people who were basically saying that Jesus wasn't divine and that he wasn't eternal, and that for John means everything. Uh, We've talked about the fact that God is light, that in him there is no darkness. John uses this metaphor throughout the the whole book about God being light and in in light and in dark and those types of things. Uh, We talked a couple of weeks ago about confession uh, and really sort of went out on a limb as a community and thank you by the way for doing that with me um, for those that were here we talked about confession and the importance of confession the idea of bringing things out into the light when we drag things out into the light good stuff happens as scary and as um, terrifying as that can be sometimes that that's what John insists that when we bring things into the light this is where God meets us uh, we've talked about the idea of the, aton- the atonement, uh, central to what it means to be, to, to be a Christian and follow Jesus is the atonement, that there are a number of ways that the church has viewed the atonement throughout church history. And, uh, and last week, we looked at how belief and knowledge of God is really made complete and fulfilled. He uses this word mature or perfect in some of our translations, that when we, our knowledge of God is actually made complete as we act in the world, as we love Uh, And John uses this command word, uh, and and the idea is to love one another. So, this week, we're in 1 John chapter 2, and I'm going to ask that you stand, if you would, and uh, we'll read from about verse 7 to verse 11. So, this is uh, the word of the Lord. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. And anyone who loves their brother and sister and lives in the light there is nothing to make them there's nothing in them to make them stumble but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them pray with me if you would oh great god i pray that today you would do your best uh, we walk in this room knowing that in so many ways this world is a mess and uh, we have contributed to that, that we have played a part in this. And so uh, often, God, we're worn thin, and uh, we need a, a fresh word from you. And I pray that today you would do that, that you would do your best on us and for us and with us. We pray in your name by the power of the Spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, on the screen behind me over here, I want to show you this picture to start with. Thankfully, I didn't give you the full version for those that have seen this picture before, you'll know what I'm talking about. For those that haven't, you can find it on Google's. Just type in Michelangelo's David. Uh, so this is this is Michelangelo's David, um, the, one, a famous, famous sculpture. And from what I gather, has anyone actually seen it, like live? A couple of you, okay? It's like four times life size. It's gigantic, yes? Very, very large. That's what I got from the pictures anyways, <laughs> and the art books. Hopefully someday I'll see it. But, Here's the thing. as the story goes, one of the popes uh, was viewing um, the the David sculpture and he says this, Uh, he he asked uh, Michelangelo, he said, how do you know what to cut away? And Michelangelo's reply was, well, it's quite simple. I just remove everything that doesn't look like David. (laughs) Yeah, of course, right? Because I chisel away marble all the time. Uh, I, just mo- I just remove everything that isn't David, he says. It's as if David was already there inside the marble, and Michelangelo just had to remove everything that wasn't David. Uh, I, I, I was an athlete um, long ago. Maybe may be hard for some of you to believe, but I grew up playing nearly everything, hockey, golf, basketball. Uh, the only thing I didn't play on a team was basketball. Um, but I, So I had a lot of coaches in my day, and, and I, I realized that there are really kind of two two kinds of coaches in life that, I, that I've experienced. One is the kind of coach who sort of demands respect, right? They sort of, by authority and power, they demand your respect as an athlete on their team, and they let you know that this is their team, and you play for them, and this is where we're going, but let's make it clear, everybody, this is my team. That kind of coach. And it always felt to me like this sort of push, kind of thing, you know, as a coach, like this, and, and I mean, every now and again, right, we need to be pushed, we need to be nudged, whatever, but usually when someone's pushed, the, the, the response is kind of like, ah, right, you know, like try to hold yourself back, so that kind of a coach always felt like this push to me, the other kind of coach that I've had was this, was the kind of coach who, uh, they saw something that I didn't see, or they saw something that we didn't see as a team, they saw something in us, that we didn't see as a team. And then they went about the business of making that known uh, and then drawing that out of you as a team. So it's as if they saw all, from the beginning that there were champions, that there were athletes in these bodies and in this team. And though you may not have believed it at the beginning of the season, by the end of the season, there was this pull, right? This, it, it's as if something already existed and this coach just kind of helped bring it out into the light. They helped make it known and helped you live into it. It was already there, and they helped you live into it. John chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, John is, is fresh off this section about loving God. What does it mean to love God? How do we know that we know? We know by our actions. We know by the fact that we love our neighbor as ourselves. We know by the fact that we, we obey Jesus's command, which is love one another as I have loved you. So he's fresh off of this section, and then he pauses. In verse 7, and he starts, this is the first time he's used this kind of language. And he says, Dear friends. And much is made about this phrase in commentaries, and I think it's and, and I think appropriately. Because John starts this part and he says, Dear friends. And and it's important as we read this book, as we try to interpret this book, I think it's really important that we remember who John is. And if I could say it in this way, I think John is a pastor. Or at the very least, John has a pastor's heart. And so as we interpret this book, it's important for us to remember, John is not a Ph.D. student. He's not a systematic theologian. He's not defending a dissertation. He's got a pastor's heart. And in fact, often, um, starting in this chapter and going on, he lets us in, he sort of lets us in and shows us this great deal of affection that he has for this group of people that he's writing to. Remember, this is a letter that circulated through like Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So this is a letter to a bunch of people that John knows, most likely little churches that John had a part in starting. And he shows his pastoral heart in verses 2, 1, verses 18 and 28 of chapter 2. He says, dear children. In chapter 4, verses 1 and 7, he says, dear friends. And I guess I just wanted to start this morning there, because that's where John starts, at least in the text we're studying. And I wanted to take this opportunity to remind you, or maybe to let you know for the first time, of the deep... Affection that I have for you, as a community. I uh, this is the first church I've ever planted. Uh, m- maybe a surprise to some of you. I'm not 45 or 50. I'm I'm 35, and I was a youth pastor for a long time. Uh, each of us has a journey and a story. Uh, mine started in a pretty conservative evangelical setting. And I went off to college uh, to neither a really liberal nor really conservative college. uh, And I studied youth ministry. And from there, I I was a youth pastor and and often at churches that I probably wouldn't have attended if I didn't work there. For those of you that have been in ministry, you know exactly the spot that I was in, right? Uh, If I didn't work at these churches, I probably wouldn't have gone to them. No fault of the churches. Just kind of for me, wasn't like a locked and loaded fit. Uh, and, And... when I transitioned from youth ministry into kind of adult ministry, so to speak, and I started seminary, and I began learning and sometimes unlearning some of the things that I had learned about church and what does it mean to be a community? What does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be the people of God as the New Testament talks about it? And I got to be honest, there was a dissonance between what I was learning and reading about what the church should be and could be and what I experienced. And, and there was a, just kind of this unsettling dissonance I don't know how else to say it about what I thought the church could be and what my experience of it was. W- was. And out of that grew and was birthed in me a longing and a, commu- uh, a longing for a community where I felt like I could really be myself, where I could offer r- authentically who I was, flawed and beautiful. And uh, this experience of Awaken and planting this church and walking this road with you all over the last two years um, has been so life-giving for me. Um, I was thinking about this teaching this morning in my office, and I just started crying. And I, um, I was so grateful and so honored to be, uh, to be able to call myself a pastor in this community and to be able to walk with you guys and to be able to, to be the kind of community that we're trying to be. And so I wanted to just start. I, I so resonate with what John says right here. He says, "Dear friends, like dear brothers and sisters, dear children." He says, uh, like uh, a dad would say to his daughters. And so I wanted to just start there, uh, because I think as I read this text, it's something that we that you could very easily skip over, and for me, it just speaks volumes that this is the kind of Letter, and this is the kind of guy that we're talking about when we read John. John goes on and, uh, and he, he, he starts this, this section of, of, of chapter 2, uh, and essentially he says, uh, This command that I've just talked about in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 is old. He says, this thing's old and you've had it from the beginning. So remember, last week we talked about this word command and we connected it to Jesus. So this is the first time John uses the word in the text. And he's using it, uh, and he doesn't really give any definition. He says, if you love God, you will obey his command. But he doesn't explain the command. He doesn't give us a definition of the command. He just uses the word. So for us, as good theologians and Bible people, that we want to understand what he's talking about, we've got to go back. Where does John use it elsewhere? And often, when, when a person uses a word like this, if you find somewhere else where it's used, especially if John wrote another book, that's a good place to start. So we went back to John 13. Jesus says, this, a new command I give you to his disciples... he says, love one another as I have loved you. So John uses this word and now this is what he's talking about. He says, this command that you've heard, it's old. You've had it from the beginning. John says, and remember, we're talking about a group of people that John's dealing with and and scholars might, uh, some scholars debate and say that what John's actually doing here is refuting the group that's kind of seceding among them, right? The group of people who are saying the fact that Jesus is eternal, the fact that Jesus is divine, it doesn't really matter, they were saying to John, they had leveled a critique against him to say essentially that what John's doing and the gospel he's teaching, there's new things added to it, and, and there's there's some some additions to it. And John's basically saying, no, listen, this is old. Like you've had this from the beginning. Now, for us as we read this text, we have to ask the question: what is beginning? right? Because John says, this is an old command. This thing, love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. This is the command, and it's old. And you've had it from the beginning, he tells these people. So where is beginning? Because the word that's used there, it does have to do with time, but it has to do with this broader thing as well. So there's a couple of things I want to offer as far as how we read beginning. Uh, There's Maybe first you could say this. Uh, we could say, you've had this from the beginning, and we could go all the way back to the beginning, right? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, the word uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And John is essentially saying, listen, this command to love one another, which is rooted in God's divine love for you. So this is the command. He says, if you, if you love me, you will obey my commands. The command is love one another, which is rooted in the fact that God, Jesus, has loved you first. So this command to love one another, which is rooted in God's divine love for us, has been present from the beginning. In other words, God's divine love for you has been present from the beginning of creation, from the moment of its inception, that the creator of the universe, the one who spoke everything into being and, and, be, and, and created from love and, or out of love, That this God, the love that this God has for you and for I, has been present from the beginning. That God's love, his heart for you, has always been and always will be one of love. I think you could also read it as John saying, you've had this command, it's old. You've had it from the beginning, the beginning from the incarnation, right? John's talking about Jesus, so we could say, if John's talking about the beginning, that when Jesus shows up on the scene, when Jesus becomes incarnate, when he becomes flesh and blood, i.e. born from Mary, Christmas, welcome, baby Jesus, happy birthday, right? That one, that this is the moment that John's speaking of when he says this, this command to love one another because God has loved you first, that it's, it's from this point, that God has loved you and, and, and you've known this from the beginning when God shows up in Jesus, and some, uh, some people would argue that it's the beginning since John spoke the gospel to them, right? He's writing this letter. He's telling them, hey, listen, you are my friends, my beloved, my children. I love you. You've had this command from the beginning. Since I, be, since I spoke the gospel to you the first time, this is what we've been talking about, that this command to love one another, which is rooted in God's love for you, you've had it since the beginning. Now, whether or not, you know, whichever way you look at it, I think quite honestly we can hold all three of those and, and we don't lose anything by, by saying, yeah, it could be any of those. I, I tend to go for the first two more over the last one. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. Here's what I hope you get from this. God's heart for you has always been one of love. And I wonder if anybody needs to hear that this morning. One of my new favorite albums is, is Crowder's and uh, David Crowder. And, uh, by the way, A Requiem Mass in C The Happiest of All Keys. That's the title for the album. <laughs> right. Who are these guys? But track two, Oh Great God, Give Us Rest. I'm all worn thin from all of this. And I've played my part too well, I guess. Oh Great God, Give Us Rest. Oh Great God, Do Your Best. I stole the prayer that I prayed this morning in case you but I wonder how many of us walk in these doors every week and and need to hear that the divine being that created the universe, the one that spoke it all into existence has always and will always love you now don't get me wrong I would be remiss to say that It breaks God's heart when we choose to live separate from him and that's all part of the story but I want you to hear this morning that as I read the text and as I understand who God is, that God's heart is for you and he loves you. And I think when John says this command, it's old. You've had it from the beginning. It's like an old song that stood the test of time. When I walk around in my house, um, I'll go around one corner, and I will hear, Baby, you're a firework. Da-da-da-da-da. That's my three-year-old. And I'll walk around the other corner, and I'll hear, Because it's a party in the USA. jay z song is on. That's my five-year-old. And then I walk around the other corner, and it's, uh, We're going to light it up like it's dynamite, right? These are the songs that I hear in my house. You know the song? Light it up like it's dynamite. There okay. you go. Then, then, the other day I'm at Gander Mountain, and I have, I have, I just got to tell you guys, this one broke me down. I had a terrible experience at Gander Mountain, and it it broke my heart. I mean, if you're ever at the Gander Mountain in Lakeville, it's like a 200,000 square foot store, and you cannot find a customer service employee if you're looking for one. So I say, I finally find this guy, and I'm like, dude, I need a grill. I got a question about a grill, and he and, and, and after, this is, by the way, he, he's kind of, I, I say, excuse me, sir, and it's this. <laughs> like, I have really put you out, right? Like, I'm so sorry to have bothered you. you. You look like you're doing something really important. I'm sorry. I have a question about a grill. And he says, I quote, well, what is it? <laughs> well, uh, I'd like to buy a grill, and I can't find it. Well, the grills are right over there. No, sir, sir, I know where the grills are. I know exactly where they are. In fact, I've been over there looking at them. But the problem I'm having is that I want to buy this one grill, but it's it's the only one out, right? And there's no boxes that I could, like, buy the grill. So then the guy just, like, lumbers, you know, like Eeyore has now entered the picture. So he and I were were lumbering over to the grill section and he finds one of his other customer service employees who has now come out of the woodwork. And this guy is actually talking with another customer and he says, Bob, this guy's looking for a grill. And Bob's like, "Uh, excuse me. What can, I, what can I help you with? And so I tell him my deal. I say, I'm looking for a grill, but I can't find it. He says, the grills are over there. I said, no, I know where the grills are. I know where they are. I just want this one, but I can't find it because there's no boxes there. And the guy's like, well, uh, let me finish with this guy and I'll be right with you. And I'm like, okay, cool. Looking for lumbering guy who's lumbered off to do whatever it was he was doing now. So I'm left standing alone again in the grill section. Finally, uh, I just, I, I take matters into my own hands, and I take the the, the standard, which says like this grill, $200, and the pull the tag right off the deal, and I walk up to the front, and it's at this moment, I tell you all of this to say this, it's at this moment when I hear this old, old Gibson, like played through an old Fender amp, and it's Johnny Cash, and he's singing uh, um, the fire one. What's that one? The Ring of Fire, right? And it's just like, Come on, Johnny, sing it, like, right? I mean, we hear that, and it just, like, goes to the core of who we are. Like, it's this song that stood the test of time through all the electronic googly whatever's out there. It's just, like, just a guitar and an amp and a dude telling a story. And I'm like, yes, I'm having a salvation moment in Gander Mountain because I have just seen, you know, the pits of hell as far as (laughs) customer service is concerned, and I just want to buy a grill for crying out loud because I want a burning ring of fire in my backyard. <laughs> and I th- I'm like, this is what John's talking about. <laughs> okay, that was a leap. That was a leap. But it's like an old, yeah, it was a stretch. It was, it was. It's like an old song that stood the test of time. You know, John's like, this is a co- command. It's old. It's been with you. It's, it's, we've been saying it the whole time. So then John, in the next breath, I don't know if you ever read the Bible and you read something and you're like, what? Did anybody get that in this passage? He says, it's old. It's old. You've had it from the beginning, like this command. It's nothing new. And then in verse eight, he says, yet yeah, I'm writing you a new command. Did anybody just kind of go, what? what? How, how, how does that work? Well, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me try to help you Get it, because I said the same thing. How does that work? How can it be old and new at the same time? Now, some commentaries argue that what John's doing is just a matter of perspective. So Jesus, for John, right, he's a past tense subject. So he's talking about Jesus, right, this old command, because he's past tense. John is future. Life to J. Fox, back to the future. But then he says, but for Jesus, of course, it was a new command, So John's like, it was an old command because I'm referring to Jesus who's back there, and yet it's a new command because for Jesus it was new. Now, if you've been around me long enough, you'd probably know that that is not a satisfactory answer for me. And I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be something going on here. There's got to be something else going on because this seems really, really interesting. It's old, and yet it's new. So here are a couple of thoughts. As I really dove into this, a couple of things kind of rose to the surface for me. I could say it this way. First, what lived in the ark is now in you. So, if I could say it one way, I'd say, What lived in the ark is now in you. Remember, friends, okay? Think back Old Testament, right? Uh, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. And at the end, the guy opens the what? The Ark of the Covenant. Thank you, Harrison Ford people. All of the, uh, you know. All of those who love Harrison Ford should be saying, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, right? So he opens the ark. He opens the ark, that was wisdom right there and filters. He opens the ark and the guy's face melts and everything. Now, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory or the Shekinah glory, depending on how you pronounce it, the Shekinah glory of God, the Spirit of God rested on top of the Ark of the Covenant in between these like two seats, right? The mercy seats and these little cherubim and these flying things that were made out of gold. So the Spirit of God sort of like lived there. Then when Jesus comes along, uh, he comes up out of the Jordan, and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove and and the heavens open up and and they hear a voice you know from the from the Father, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now get this. when Jesus dies on the cross and redefines the people of God in in sort of this jesus centric kind of way, I made that up. Uh, and the the veil is torn in the temple, right the whole thing's split. What's going on here theologically is very, very important. and the spirit of God is now living, dwelling, makes its home in you and I, those of those who are in Christ. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, says this, And you also were included in Christ. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession. He says it again in Ephesians 4 and 2 Corinthians 1. Same idea, that the Spirit of God is this stamp, so to speak, on you when you are in Christ, and it's a guarantee of what's to come. What we once saw at the ark, and then in Jesus, John says this. Now, think Gatorade commercials, right? Is it in you? John says this Spirit lives in you. It's old, but it's new, because now, the Spirit of God actually rests in you. Follower of Jesus, when you walk into the world, you bear the mark. You bear the divine light of God into the world. You reflect God's divine presence. That's what it says. This isn't me making up theology here. John says, you are a light. And when you show yourself into the world and allow the Spirit of God to work through you that you bear witness to, you are an ambassador of, you reflect the divine light of God. It's in you. Now, I think you could also... Very interestingly, go back to Jeremiah chapter 31, if you would. So go back to Jeremiah 31. So remember, we're talking about what does he mean when he says new? It's a new command. Now, this is sort of a a very Jewish strain here. And, And Jeremiah 31 verse 31 says this, "'The time is coming,' declares the Lord, "'when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. "'And with the house of Judah, "'it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers "'when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt.'" Because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Within Judaism in the first century, there's an expectation that God will do something And this something has lots of implications, one of them being that God will take Torah, what was written on a scroll and read among the people, and he will write it on the hearts of the people, essentially to say that Torah won't necessarily be needed because the law of God, the the, the heart of God, will actually be in the hearts of the people. And this is only something that God could do. And so when John says, this is an old command, you've had it from the beginning, yet it's new, could it be, in fact, that John was saying, What we we hope for, what we've been hoping for as the people of God from the time of Moses, where God would write this new covenant on the hearts of his people, is happening among us. So it's old, it's new. Now briefly, as we move towards communion, I want to say this. I want to skip down to verse 9 and 11, briefly talk about that, and then come back to something at the end of chapter 8. So if you're getting whiplash, hang on. Verses 9 and 11, 9 through 11 basically say John continues this theme that he's already started. He says, if you're in the light but you still hate your brother or sister, you're actually in the dark. If you love them, then you live in the light. If you hate them, you walk around in the dark. You don't know where you're going. You're blind. And there's one key word that I want to pull out. To understand this one, and it's this word "stumble," and in, in Greek, it's the word scandalon, And if you look it up, it has this idea of like a bear trap. Uh, uh, the actual definition. Um, see where did I write that? Oh yeah, the movable stick or trigger of a trap. Right, a trap stick, a trap, a snare is what it says. So this word that John uses, he says in verse eight. Excuse me, I'm gonna. I got to go back to First John. He says in verse. Nine, anyone who claims to be in the light hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother is in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. When, when, John, when John says you're in the light, when you are living with, with, uh, in a relationship with God in the light, you don't set traps for one another. How often do we do this? Where in community, in relationship, we set these little traps for one another. And this is the image that John used. He says, if you're in the light and you love your brother and sister, there's nothing in you that causes you or others to stumble. We don't set traps for each other. Why do we set a trap? Why do we do some of the things that we do? To protect ourselves, to boost ourselves up, to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, to try to tell a story about ourselves that maybe isn't actually true. Right? These are the reasons why we do some of these things. And John says, if you're living in the light, if you have a relationship with God and you understand to love one another as Christ has first loved you, you don't do that. You serve one another. And then in the, at the end of verse eight, and I'll, I'll close with this, John insists that the lights are on. He says at the end of verse eight, it's in him and, in, and it's in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. The writer John, obviously, referring back to Jesus, if you go back to verses 1 to 4 of the first chapter, it's all about Jesus and his appearance in the world. And the writer John essentially is saying, at the appearance of Jesus, everything has changed. Or you could say, everything is revealed. I need a volunteer as we close this morning. I just need one volunteer. Somebody brave, I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't make you eat a goldfish. I actually made a kid eat a leech one time at youth group. I got a few, I got a few notes about that one. Thank you, Jackie. Come on up here. Give, give Jackie a round of applause, everybody. Ian, I need the lights up as high as you can get them. Jackie, have a seat, please. Yeah. Right on the stool. Now, Jackie. <clears throat> this is Jackie, everybody. She's married to the lovely Ben. Or I should say, this is the lovely Jackie. She's married to Ben. All right? Here we are. Jackie, just a couple right. of questions for you, okay? And you just answer them. Okay. Are the lights on? Yes. Okay. Bright. They are bright, aren't they? they Jackie, you do not get to keep these. These are my, not mine. These are Michaela's. Would you please put those on? Okay. Jackie, mm-hmm. are the lights on? Yes. Okay. Now just be still. Jackie, are the lights on? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Don't be nervous, Jackie. (laughs) Jackie, are the lights on? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Just keep your nose down. Keep breathing. Okay. Jackie, how are you doing under there? Okay, are the lights on? Yeah. Friends, don't move Jackie. (laughs) John insists that despite how dark it may appear, the lights are on. That the darkness is passing because something has happened and the lights are on. And despite, (laughs) how are you doing there? (laughs) I don't know how many of you can relate to this. Maybe not literally, but metaphorically, that we walk around and it is dark where we live for whatever reason caused by us, caused by others, but it's just dark. And John insists that the light has been turned on, a definitive moment that the lights are on. And invites us to experience, to begin taking off the things that cause darkness and the things that Appear dark and invites you and I. Thank you, Jackie. Give that for Jackie. (laughs) John's invitation, right, like a good coach, is to say, Listen, here's what's true about you. Because of Christ, you are a new creation because of what Jesus has done definitively, forever, turned on the lights and the darkness is passing. It has had its day and it will be no more. And there is a reality that awaits you and invites you to step into it, invites you to live from a a position, from a place that's already true. Now, Often, we choose not to, and we don't believe that something has happened and that the lights are on, and that's a choice that we make. But friends, I want you to know the good news of the gospel is a proclamation of what is true in Christ about you if you choose to live into it. That John says that these things, this inheritance, this Holy Spirit that has sealed you, This is what awaits you. This is what, the door is ajar. And I think as John writes these dear friends, his invitation is one of the darkness is passing and the light is on. And for you and for I to step out into that, to live in that. And that's the invitation, I think, of John. I think it's the invitation of Jesus. I think it's the invitation of God to you and to I today so this morning I want to encourage you and I want to say despite how dark it may feel and be sometimes in our lives because of things that happen because of choices that we've made that all is not lost that rescue has come and that redemption is very very near it is not far away. It is as close as the light that shines in your face right now. It is as near to you as the breath you just breathed. Receive it. Live in it. Go a different direction. This is, this is the message of Jesus. Repent and follow me, for the kingdom is near. And so I leave you with that this morning. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awaken Community or on Twitter the Awakening Community. See you next time.